Good morning, everybody. Hare Krishna. Welcome to Radhakalashani Srimad Bhagavatam class. Uh, today is Saturday, September 21st. It's what's on the board. Is that right? Okay, good. Prophet said not to know the day and date. The time and the date is a sign of insanity. Okay, so I have a melody for you from Vrindavan. I hope you enjoy this. Radha Mahadava Radha Madhava Jai Kunja like our actual speaker for Srimad Bhagavatam has arrived. And for Ruchi, you've probably already prepared for this. Just that, when no, 
Maybe I finished the kirtan too early. You're ready for class, right? You were going to give a class? You're here in America? No, you're all ready to go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Thank you for asking me. It's really nice for me to read Srimad Bhagavatam because I'm such a sleepy person. No, 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 I want to just sit here, you guys. Don't worry. See, normally, if I listen to class, I have to stand up because I'm so sleepy. I went to the doctor and everything about it. I don't know what it is. But, uh, okay, thanks. Today is uh, Srila Prabhupada's arrival day in America. So we can talk a little bit about that. And we're here in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the first canto. And we have text number 16 up on the board. This is a beautiful section called Divinity and Divine Service. So everyone can repeat. Om Namo Bhagavate Hivasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Hivasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Sushu uh-huh. Can you guys see it? Okay. Shraddha Danasya Vasudeva Katam Ruchi San Mahat Sevaya Vipram Punya Tirta Nishevanat. Okay, before I do word for word, does anyone know any of these words? Yes, ma'am. Which one? Which word do you know? We have to, this is meant for us to learn the meaning of the words. So, does anyone know any of the words? How about, yes. Vasudeva, and what does Vasudeva mean? In respect of? In respect to Vasudeva. Yes. How about kata? You guys have heard that, right? Krishna kata. Discussions, right? Okay, how about ruchi? We know that, right? The different levels of devotion, it means taste when we like to do this. Okay, how about Mahat? Like Maha Prashadam? Mahat Prashad? You know, I always have this question, you know, we have our one of our Pajaris here, Mahahari. So Hari means one who steals the Maha. Does that mean one who steals the Maha? <laughs> Mahat means great. How about Seva or Sevaya? Service. Okay. And Vipra? Brahmana, right? Vipra. Do you guys know any names with the word Vipra in it? Vipra Lamba? Any other names where it's a, that's used for, Vipra Lamba means in separation, right? So there might be some difference in the, if we looked at the Sanskrit, but Vipra generally means Brahmana. Sometimes Lord Chaitanya is referred to as what? 
the jewel of the brahmanas. That's dvija money, vipra money. Uh-huh. Okay, what about tirta? Holy place. Okay, punya? Pious. So puna tir- punya tirta means what? A holy place, right? Okay, and uh, this one I'm not sure what it is. Um, ni ni uh, shevanat. So that means by service. Okay, great. Hey, this first word too, I, I think it's a very beautiful sounding word. Shushuso. Shushuso. What does that mean? One who is engaged in hearing. All right? How about my Hindi speakers? Shaki Sindri, what's the Hindi word for hearing? To hear in Hindi. Oh, you guys speak Nepali. <laughs> How do you say it in Nepali? Sunni? Mm. Okay. So, uh, word for word. Shushuso. One who is engaged in hearing. Shradhanasya. With care and attention. Vasudev. In respect to Vasudev. We're, we're making that first day long. Kata. The message. Ruchi. Affinity. Sat. Syat. Sorry, I was, yeah. Um, is made possible. Mahat Sevaya. By service rendered to pure devotees. Vipra, O twice born. Punya Tirta, those who are cleansed of all vice. Nisheva Yat by service. Okay, translation purport by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. O twice born sages. By serving those devotees who are completely freed from all vice, great service is done. By such service, one again one gains affinity for hearing the messages of Vasudeva. You want to repeat that? It's beautiful, isn't it? O twice-born sages, by serving those devotees, who are completely freed from all vice. Great service is done. By such service, one gains affinity for hearing the messages of Vasudev. Okay, before I read the purport here, I want to ask, so, O twice-born sages... So all of you are twice born, right? Someone might say, oh, I only have first initiation. Those are the Indian devotees, you know. They're all twice born by birth. Okay. Oh, twice born sages. By serving those devotees who are completely freed from all vice. That's my question. What does it mean to be completely freed from all vice? Amen. Can you say? Like to sit on the Vyasasan, this qualification is actually meant to be followed. A 
person has to be complete from all vice and has to have traveled throughout the entire world and have defeated all opposing philosophies of Vaishnavism. That's the qualification for sitting on the Vyasa sun. Okay, well, we know, right, there's four sinful activities, meat-eating, intoxication, gambling, right? And what's the fourth one? Illicit sex, right? So first of all, we have to get free from that, from those things, right? So that's, when we talk about being free from all vice, that's like a basic definition we can give everybody. But beyond those things, there's more to it. Just like what did Prabhupada say about sex, illicit sex? You guys know? When for us, when we control sex desire, well, uh, uh, just like, I'll give you an uh, antidote. Rupanuga Prabhu likes me to tell short stories when I speak. When you go to Los Angeles, I'm sorry, when Srila Prabhupada went to Los Angeles, there was, um, you know, the devotees do Sankirtan, especially in L.A. They have a lot of book distributors there, even today. They do really, really good. Have you guys seen? They do about $100,000 a month in book sales. When I joined in Chicago in 1979, the temple in Chicago sold $100,000 worth of books per week. Had to throw that out there just in case Swavas Prabhu listens to my class. So the Sankirtan devotees, they go out in vans, right? So they were the temple vans, so they were going out in the Sankirtan vans. And there was a mechanic, not he's a, a friend of the temple. He had a shop just by the temple, and he would work on the Sankirtan vans. So one day he was by the temple, and the devotees introduced Prabhupada to him. So Prabhupada, you know, they exchanged greetings, and then Prabhupada asked them about the the Sankirtan vans. And this mechanic said he had never seen vehicles more beat up in his life. So he asked Prabhupada, so he asked Prabhupada, I'm sorry, so um, he asked Prabhupada, I've never seen vehicles more, like, you know, uncared for and abused, right? And so he asked Prabhupada about it, and Prabhupada said, that is the price we have to pay for asking them to be celibate. I thought it was really funny. You guys aren't laughing, but I thought it was really funny. Prophet responded to him like that. No, what Prophet said is when we control our sex desire, subtle, uh, gross sex desire, it becomes subtle until we become pure devotees, until we fully dedicate all of our actions of body, mind, and words. To Krishna. So when sex life, sex desire becomes subtle, what happens? A lot of things happen, guys. Okay, the main thing Prabhupada mentioned was he said that we become um, desirous of fame, adoration, and distinction. He said that sex desire, when it becomes subtle, it becomes the um, desire for fame, adoration, and distinction. Okay, thanks. So, here, 
So the conditioned, in the, I'm reading the purport now, you guys. The conditioned life of a living being is caused by his revolting against the Lord. Okay. Revolting against the Lord. Says there are men called Deva or godly living beings, and there are men called Asuras or demons who are against the authority of the Supreme Lord. In the Bhagavad Gita, 16th chapter, a vivid description of the Asuras is given in which it is said that the Asuras are put into lower and lower states of ignorance, life after life, and so sink to the lower animal forms and have no information of the absolute truth, the personality of Godhead. These Asuras are gradually rectified to God consciousness by the mercy of the Lord's liberated servitors in different countries according to the supreme will. Such devotees of God are very confidential associates of the Lord, and when they come to save human society from the dangers of godlessness, they are known as the, as the powerful incarnations of the Lord, as sons of the Lord, as servants of the Lord, or as associates of the Lord. But none of them falsely claim to be God themselves. This is a blasphemy declared by the Asuras. And the demoniac followers of such Asuras also accept pretenders as God or his incarnation. In the revealed scriptures, there is, a definite, there is definite information of the incarnation of God. No one should be accepted as God or an incarnation of God unless he is confirmed by the revealed scriptures. Just like you may have seen him not too long ago, there was the Kolki avatar appeared in India. Did you guys see that? Nobody saw it, huh? You saw it? Yes, yeah, so one man was claiming to be Kolki. You know, we have different incarnations of the Lord, right? So in Kali Yuga, Kolki appears according to the scripture, right? So this man claimed to be Kolki. So how do you know he's not, he is or is not Kolki? It's Kali Yuga. He calls himself Kolki. He's got millions of followers. He's, does he have a horse? That's one of the qualifications of an incarnation of God. He has to have a horse. If he's Kolki, he does, huh? There's no more Hondas and uh, Fords left. When Kolki appears, there's only horses. All the, all the cars stop. Any other incarnation? Any other reasons we know he is or is not an incarnation? It's not mentioned in the scripture that Kolki would appear at this time? Mm. When does he appear? At the end of Kali Yuga, yes, that's correct. So one thing we know, the timing is not according to the scripture. What else, Manaji? Kalki is supposed to kill all the demons. This is, and this Kalki is not doing that. Right? Any other reasons we know he's not an incarnation? <laughs> Makuna Prabhu said because he's a demon himself. <laughs> okay, well here, we know that Krishna and his incarnations have markings on his hand and feet, right? 
Any other reasons? He has these beautiful markings, right? How many markings does Krishna have in his right hand? How many does he have in his left hand? They're different. And he has different markings on his feet. What's the main marking on Krishna's hands? He has a chakra, right? What? Pancha, yes. Any other markings? Mace, yes. These are the four emblems of Vishnu, right? And what's the other, the fourth one? Lotus. And any other ones? You can remember? He has a goat for controlling elephants. Any other markings? What? Got a thunderbolt, yes. Any other ones? What? Flag, yes. Flag of victory, Jai Pataka. Any others? Any other markings that you can remember? It's got the swastika, thank you. It's got the, um, the uh, pot that's used for deity worship. That's an, it's actually a deity, right? So the pot, the coconut represents the head of the deity, and then you have the pots, the body. You have five leaves in the pot, mango leaves generally, and they represent the neck, the two arms, and the two feet. The pot's filled with water, which represents like the water in our stomach, the acid in our stomach. And you put a Brahmin thread on the pot. You tie the pot, you know, with strings all around it. That represents the nerves, you know, in the body. Barley and grain. They put a silver inside or gold inside the pot, which represents the minerals inside the body. Turmeric into the water, which represents uh, like our blood. And what else did Prabhupada say about coconuts? He said they had what? Eyes, right? No, he said no, there was. There's never been a report in history where a coconut fell from a tree and hit somebody in the head. Come on, you guys aren't laughing at any jokes. I thought that was so funny when I heard it. You guys have such straight faces. My God, it's astonishing how self-controlled you devotees are here. Yeah, Prabhupada said they have eyes that they can see. That's why no one ever got hit in the head by a coconut falling from the tree. So they, the, the kumba, it's called, right? It represent, that's on Krishna's hand. Any other markings on Krishna's hands or feet? He's got a palace. He's got a dagger. Oh, you're looking at him. <laughs> Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> Google Das, or is that Google Davy Das? <laughs> yeah, he's got a dagger. He's got, what else, guys? A sword. Wow, it sounds like Krishna is a Kshatriya. Why was Krishna born in a Vaishya family? If he's in, if he's the representative of pure goodness. To confuse Shushu Paul? <laughs> That's one topic in the Srimad Bhagavatam, you know. I'm gonna leave that for your homework. Why was Krishna why was Krishna born in the family of Vasudeva and Devaki or in Yashoda and Nandamaraj if he's the representative of pure goodness? Vishuddha Sattva. 
Right? If somebody's born in the in goodness, they should be born as a Brahmin. <laughs> He's above all Varna, is it? I thought Mother Yashoda told the gopis in Vrindavan that you think he's God? He can't even control himself from from eating and stealing butter. How could he control the whole universe? Okay, we're talking about incarnation. So we know one thing, Krishna, an incarnation has specific markings on his body or her body, right? We accept Srimati Radharani is the female counterpart of the Supreme. So she also has divine markings. What else, guys? Okay, look, I'll give you a really good one. All right. In the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami divides the qualities of the Lord into 64, right? So he says, we, the living beings, we can manifest up to 50 qualities but only in a small degree, partial degree. Then the demigods, they can manifest up to 55 qualities, but to a much larger extent, right? Like they can control the sun and and so many things, right? And Lord Vishnu, um, you know, we hear from about the demigods, right? Like like um, when, do you know the story of... of uh, uh, Tapatya, Tapatya, Arjun was called Tapatya because he's the ancestor of Tapati. There's a famous story of one of the women in the Yadu dynasty. She actually married Maharaj Yadu. She was the queen of the Yadu dynasty, the original founding queen. Do you guys know that history? More homework. Mahabharata describes her as being, she was the, the daughter of the sun god. And she was so, her beauty was so ravishing, so incredibly um, effulgent that when she entered into the forest where Maharaj Kuru, it was Maharaj Kuru, was hunting. So she was the founder of the Kuru dynasty. She was the founding queen of the Kuru dynasty. It was as if the forest had turned to gold. Right? Um, what other powers do the demigods have? Their eyes don't blink? Okay. Their eyes don't blink. Any other qualities? They only eat ghee. So we have Mishra Bhagavan Prabhupada. He's hinting that the Pujaris should only be using ghee. Krishna is the... Right? Mahadev, he's the greatest of all the demigods, right? Hey, you know the names like Mahadev and all these names that you hear? Sometimes, you know, people confuse and they say, oh, isn't that... You know, I've heard like in the Vishnu Sahasranam so many names of demigods being given to Lord Vishnu. Vishwanath Chakravati explains that just like a father or mother like may give their name to their son or their daughter... So even all the names of the demigods were give, are given by Lord Vishnu because the demigods are his children. What else do the demigods do? Are they do they win the Super Bowl? They're universal administrators. Thank you. That's one of the main qualifications. There's actually two categories of of demigods. There are what are called 
the primordial demigods, like Lord Shiva. He exists even after the universes are destroyed. He has a place in between the material and spirit, which I shouldn't say in between. He has a place that his abode is both within the material world and in the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, what is Lord Shiva known as? What is What name is he given? Advaita Acharya is considered to be an incarnation of Lord Shiva from the spiritual world, a combined incarnation. Do you guys remember from Advaita Acharya's appearance day? Sada Shiva, right? When Lord Shiva, before he enters into the material world, he remains in the spiritual world in his original state. It's called Sada Shiva, right? And then when he enters into the material world, Lord Shiva becomes known as Rudra. Yeah. And Vetachari is an incarnation of who? Lord Vishnu and Lord Shiva. Yeah. The demigods also, they assist the Lord in his pastimes. Right? So, but I was saying you have the primordial demigods. Those are the ones that are really the ones that are worshipped the most because they are considered to be, their, their positions cannot be taken by a jiva. You cannot become Lord Shiva, but you can become Lord Brahma. And then you have administrative demigods. Who's the leader of the administrative demigods? Lord Indra, thank you. Lord Indra. Many interesting stories. Probably the most famous story amongst the devotees is Lord Indra doing what? What? Govardhan Hill's pastime, yeah. Trying to kill Krishna and the residents of Vrindavan. Okay, so the demigods, they can manifest up to 55 qualities, but only much greater than human beings. We call them superhumans, uh, or we, we call them superheroes, right? Captain America is a demigod, isn't he? No, who is the one who's a demigod? One of the it's Wonder Woman, right? Come on, you guys. Okay, so and now Lord Vishnu can manifest sixty qualities, five more that the demigods don't have. What's the main quality that it's described about Lord Vishnu that the demigods don't have? Yes, thank you. Unlimited universes come from Lord Vishnu's pores, just like droplets of sweat come from our skin. Even Lord Shiva doesn't have that power. And Lord Vishnu's qualities are to an unlimited degree. His wealth is unlimited. His strength is unlimited. Right? Okay, and then Krishna has four more qualities that signify him as the supreme personality of Godhead. What are those? He plays a flute, but not just anyhow, right? Not just any ho ho. You know Lord Shiva, right? He's famous for playing this dim-dim drum. It's that little like uh, hourglass-shaped drum. And he can play it so intensely that he can destroy a whole universe playing that little drum. Right? But when Lord Shiva hears Krishna playing his flute, it's so amazing that Lord Shiva goes into samadhi and he falls off his bull.
Have you guys ever gone to a rock concert and fallen on the ground unconscious in samadhi? Maybe there's a difference between Krishna's flute playing and rock rock and roll. Right? He plays flute. What's the, another quality that Krishna has? That Lord Shiva does I mean that Lord Vishnu doesn't have. Enchanter of the Gopis, mm, that's not really what's given. It's, it's given that he has super excellent devotees. Just like you might know, um, you might know this pastime that when Krishna was taken away from Vrindavan to Akura, that's what we're going to be reading about soon here, Krishna as Vasudev. So there are two forms of Krishna. Right? So there's the Nanda Nandana form of Krishna. Like you've heard that Krishna never leaves Vrindavan, right? And then there's the Vasudev or Yadu Nandana Krishna. So there's the Krishna who's the son of Nanda Maharaj or Yashoda Nandana. He never leaves Vrindavan. He doesn't kill demons. All he does is revel in pastimes of love with Srimati Radharani and the residents of Vrindavan. But when he does want to kill, or when he does want to protect the devotees, he appears as Vasudev Krishna. That's who you were reading about here. Just like when Krishna was born, he appeared in the palace of Kamsa, right, in the prison of Kamsa. Have you guys ever been there? In Mathura? Have you been there? Yeah, if you go and you see the deities in Mathura, the famous Hinduja temple, um, of you can go down inside. They say it's the original place where Krishna was imprisoned, where Vasudeva and Devaki were imprisoned in Mathura. But so when he appeared to Vasudeva and Devaki, that's not the original personality of Godhead. So Krishna, when he was born, he appeared in two places simultaneously. He appeared with his sister, Yoga Maya. Why is she considered his sister? What happened to her? Okay, when Krishna appeared in the palace, right, in the dungeon, he showed the form of Vishnu with four arms, right? Was that a baby form or was that an adult form? You sure? Was he a boy at that time? How old was he when he appeared to them as Vishnu? Because Prabhupada writes about him being in the baby form of Vishnu. I just wanted to clarify if anybody knew that. Okay, there's some more homework for you guys. (laughs) Don't hate me for this. (laughs) So anyway, regardless of that point, Krishna appeared as Vasudeva. Let's just say he was a full-grown adult. Krishna, right, he grows up to about somewhere between 16 and 20 years of old. So he was a youth. He had all the emblems and, you know, four arms. He had divine armor on, right? And then he transformed himself into a baby on the request of Devaki, and he was carried, right? Remember all the guards fell asleep into Yoga Nidra, and then he carried Krishna, the baby Krishna, across the Jamuna, right? The Jamuna split open, and the walkway was there. Where else have you heard about the water splitting open? In the Bible? What happened there? Who walked through the Red Sea? 
Moses and the devotees followed him, right? And he did that to protect them from being slaughtered by the Romans, isn't it? The Egyptians. So, there you have it. And so he went across the Jamuna, and then he went into the pal- into the palace of Nanda Maharaj, into the maternity ward. M- Mother Yashoda had given birth to twins of Krishna, the original form of Krishna, and Yoga Maya. But it's the way it's described by Vishwanath Chakravati is that that original form of Krishna is called the Avatari. So the Vasudev Krishna entered into that original form. And it seemed as if there was only one male baby. And then he, she was basically exhausted in deep sleep after childbirth. So he took the female. He went back to the prison, rechained himself. The baby started crying. And then what happened? The Super Bowl came on and everybody forgot. What happened, guys? Anybody remember? Kamsa came. He was angry, right? The guards ran and said, the baby, the eighth child's been born. You know, this is the one that the voice, the ominous voice from the sky uh, said would kill you. So Kamsa came there, right? And he took, and David, he begged, please don't kill this child. It's a girl. It's not a boy. Don't defame yourself. Give me at least one child. You've killed all my other children. Please, my, you're my brother. Help me in this situation. Don't torture me. But he still was out of his mind in fear. He grabbed the female from Devaki, and what he had been doing was he took the children, he smashed them on the floor and killed them one by one. So he took the girl to smash her on the floor in front of them while everybody was crying and begging him not to do it. And the child flew up in the sky, and what happened? She manifested eight arms. Who was she? Who? Durga Devi. So she's described as Yoga Maya in the house of, of Nanda Maharaj, and she's called Maha Maya or Durga when she's with Kamsa. So Maha Maya, once they asked Prabhupada, why don't we worship a deity of Durga on the altar in our temples? You know what Prophet said? Prophet said, why do you want to worship Durga? She has that tree through the trident, and she's only inflicting adiatmic, adidevic, and adibotic miseries into your life. You know, miseries from other living beings, miseries from your own mind and senses, miseries from nature. And Radharani is just giving you pure love. Why do you want to worship Durga? She's giving you all misery. That's what Prabhupada said. That's why we don't have a deity of Durga. Wouldn't you rather have Radharani with her pure love? Or do you want Durga with her trident? Take your choice. So Kamsa got Durga with her trident. Right? And he had been worshipping her. So, you know, this is a little something about demigod worship, right? He became very opulent, but people hated him. He had no friends. 
Everybody that knew him wanted to kill him. So next time, you know, you think about demigod worship. <laughs> hey, anyway, so, right? So then what happened? Kamsa, he begged her to forgive him, and he released David Gein Vasudev. And what happened to Durga? Did she just vanish into clear blue sky? What happened to her? Yeah, she told him, you're a fool, the, the eighth child's already born, he's going to kill you, you know, why have you been so ugly and, and, and such a barbarous, demoniac person, even to your own sister, right? And so he got so afraid, he was shaking, he released them. But what happened to Durga at that point? Did she just vanish in the clear blue sky, guys? What happened to Durga? What? She did what? She disappeared into the clear blue sky. No, she transformed into a small girl and Devaki and Dave and, and Vasudev took her and raised her as Subhadra. Subhadra is the Durga form, the Yoga Maya form of, uh, of coming from Vrindavan, showing herself as Mahamaya, and then she became the sister of Krishna. Yes. Future wife of Arjuna. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are just some of the points, right? Uh, one of the things I wanted to say about super excellent devotees, it's described that when um, Vasudev, uh, when, I'm sorry, when um, Akura came from Mathura to bring Krishna and Balaram to go to the wrestling arena, right? So at that time, Mother Yashoda, she was crying, and it's described that she cried day and night after Krishna left Vrindavan until she went blind. And Prabhupada said there is no, if you look in his letters, he writes about it, and he said there is no history, there is no example in the history of, a world, of the world that a mother had so much affection for her son that when her son was separated from her, she cried day and night until she went blind. So Krishna has super excellent devotees. Just like Prabhupada, there was a famous acharya of um, the uh, Madhavacharya sect. So he went to Prabhupada's appearance day in Vrindavan and he said that in his estimation, Prabhupada was greater than Lord Shiva. And the reason he gave, he said, because Lord Shiva brought the Ganges River down to India and liberated the people of India. But Prabhupada was able to bring down the ocean of love of God and indonate the entire world. Srila Prabhupada Ki! So Krishna has super excellent devotees, right? And his pastimes are super excellent. Just like he's the Supreme Lord, but he goes to the neighbor's house and steals butter. Or, you know, there's a famous story Prabhupada tells about how when Krishna first started walking, 
So Mother Yashoda would bring Krishna to the barn. You can see this in Vrindavan even today. If you go like to our Goshala or any farm, you'll see the women keep their children there and they'll milk the cows or they have some boys that come and milk the cows and they oversee them milking. And they have the kids there. And sometimes the kids drink the uh, milk right from the teeth of the cow as little kids. But one of the things when they're first learning how to walk... They sometimes hold on the cow's tails, or they hold on everything, right? You've seen that, right? Little, like when Brajaraj was learning to walk, right? They hold on the wall, they hold on the furniture, they hold on your clothing. So Krishna, he held on the tail of a baby calf, and the calf became frightened and started running, and it, Krishna held on to the tail because he got scared, and the cow was running around in the pasture pulling Krishna through all the cow dung. And Mother Yashoda and the gopis were all laughing watching that happen. These are super excellent pastimes, guys. You never hear these stories with the demigods or incarnations of Lord Shiva. Another point is that um, Vishnu, he's manifesting the qualities of Aishvarya, majesty and power. And Krishna is manifesting the qualities of sweetness. Right? So just think about it for a minute. It's the example is given of a high court judge. So just like a high court judge um, may come into the courtroom, everyone gives respect to the judge, all right? But the judge can go home and start playing with the judge's child, children, and the kids may climb under the back of the judge and say, giddy up, giddy up, and spank the judge, and the judge acts like a pony. So Prabhupada gives that example saying that the judge actually enjoys the affectionate love of the child more than the respect that the, ch- the judge gets in the courtroom. So the same way, Lord Vishnu is the Lord in the courtroom manifesting his power. And Krishna is the Lord at home manifesting his intimate feelings of love and friendship. And the example, another example is given just like if a powerful soldier came in here wearing armor, right? Like now you can see a lot, of, even now kids going to school are wearing bulletproof uh, jackets now. And bulletproof, they're selling bulletproof um, uh, book bags. But you can imagine a soldier coming in here, right, with all kinds of armor, helmet on, weapons and everything, big, strong, right, really serious then how would you feel? Would you be scared? Would you be respectful if they talked to you? You would? Okay, then what if a uh, beautiful young, you know, youth came in here with big eyes and uh, really beautiful clothing and flowers eating sweets with a pet cow, peacock feathers in his hair? And he started making jokes with you. Then how would you feel? You'd give him a hug, wouldn't you? Probably, right? Laugh at the jokes, play around, want to hang out with him. Right? So that's an example that's given that sweetness is superior to majesty and power. Madhurya is superior to Aishvarya. Krishna is superior to Vishnu because Krishna is sweet and Vishnu is power. Just like if I ask a Hindu woman, Nepali Hindu woman, right? Who is Vishnu's mother? 
Who's Shiva's mother? Who's Krishna's mother? Yashoda. See, so when you think of Vishnu, even a Hindu woman, Brahmin woman from Nepal, she thinks of Vishnu. She doesn't think of, Krishna, of Vishnu in a relationship with the mother. She only thinks of Vishnu in relation as the supreme. But when she thinks of Krishna, she thinks of him with an intimate relationship with his mother, Yashoda. So these are all reasons. And also, the other reason was what the BBC went there and did an undercover report. They went to see the Kalki avatar and his wife, Mahalakshmi. And what they found was, see, you pay... Um, if you want to meet the Kalki avatar in person, you pay 25,000 rupees, which in India is quite a bit of money, right? That's about maybe three months worth of salary. Um, but Or if you want to go in a group, you pay 5,000 rupees each, something like that. It was, it's a lot of money for Indians. And um, he has a big mansion, right? But before you get to see the Kalki avatar, they serve the prashad. They serve a big feast. So everybody eats, and then they go in and see the Kalki avatar. And then when they come out, they're like in ecstasy. So what they found out, BBC, is they took some of the food and they tested it, and it was all laced with narcotics. It became really popular even amongst like Indian youth, you know, to go there and get stoned and see the Kalki avatar. So that's what's going on because people don't have any information. And also they're supposed to, they, they want to experience, people want to experience a buzz. You guys saw that interview with uh, George Harrison. He said he became a devotee because he, he wasn't getting a buzz anymore from smoking marijuana. It's on YouTube. He said, so when he met the Hare Krishnas and the Kirtan, he met Prabhupada, he got a buzz back and he never came down, right? Didn't the devotees make a poster like that? Stay high forever? Are you guys high? Are you getting a buzz when you come here? See, these kids aren't getting a buzz. We need more for kids around here. There's nothing for kids. They're just being forced to sit around. He... Rajaraj said he doesn't get a buzz when he comes. He needs a buzz. Okay, so first part here, the purport is that, you know, we have to understand who a real incarnation is and the difference between the incarnation and the asura. Okay, here's another basic definition Prabhupada gives. He says that a devotee is someone that wants to help other people. Get out of the material world. Get free from misery. A devotee is suffering when they sees the suffering of others. A devotee is unhappy when they see others suffering. That's why the devotees work tirelessly. Prabhupada mentions it here. They go out, even though, you know, it's a lot nicer just to sit around at home and eat briar's ice cream. They go out and they distribute books and they hold programs and they do harinams. Right and programs, and they wake up early in the morning. Thanks for doing that too. Everybody who's doing that, I really, I, I just worship you. Once my guru Maharaj, I tra- was trying to be his personal servant, and he said, "Look, Naratam, I took sannyas because I didn't want a servant." He said, "As long as you try to be my servant, I'm going to make your life miserable." 
He said, but as soon as you go out on Sankirtan, I'll worship you. Not that we want to be worshipped by our gurus, but the point is there. This is what makes Krishna and the devotees happy when we take a little trouble to help others. So that's the qualification of a devotee. Actually, it's the qualification of a human being to help other people, help living beings, help animals, help everybody. And the asura, somebody is defined as asura when they try to exploit and dominate, when they don't care about other people. Just like a friend of mine, he sent me a picture of his grandfather. So his grandfather was here in America. He used to work in a wheat mill, grinding wheat. Those days, they even had, like, my mom used to go to a, a water a, a mill. So it was like a big wheel on the side of a building, and the wheel would turn when the river would go past. It had paddles on it. It was a paddle wheel. And it turned a big grinding stone inside, and my mom would go there and get fresh ground wheat. If you've never had fresh ground wheat, it is a 100 times healthier than the regular factory-made wheat. In fact, that's one of the reasons they say Indian diet in the villages is the best in the world, because the women grind the wheat fresh. It's like the difference between fresh ground coffee, you know, like when you go in the grocery store. I don't know about you guys, but that's my favorite aisle, walking past the fresh ground coffee. The fragrance is amazing. And I hate coffee. It makes me sick. Don't get me wrong about that. But the fragrance and the nutri- the, the vitamins from fresh ground wheat or fresh ground anything is just amazing. So, yeah, there was this big grinding wheel. My mom used to go there. So, anyway, my friend sent me the picture of his grandfather. And what his grandfather, they used to do is pack the wheat in cloth bags. You know, like in India. Don't you guys still do that? You see, like if you buy Royal Basmati rice or even some of the good brands, they have like a real nice cotton bag. So what the women were doing at that time after the war was they were taking the cloth bags and sewing it into clothing for their children because they didn't have enough money. So the wheat company started to print really cute designs on their bags, and the emblem was washable. So you just wash the bag once, the emblem would go away, and the the mothers would sew these bags into these really cute outfits for boys and girls, and they were they were helping the whole country. Like, people mattered. That's the difference between a devotee and an asura. People matter. People are more important than acquiring material things. Right? So it says, the servants of God are to be respected as God by the devotees who actually want to go back to Godhead. You know, when somebody actually takes the trouble to help someone else, then we should show respect and love to them. And then it says here that such servants of God are called Mahatmas or Tirtas themselves, and they preach according to a particular time and place. The servants of God urge people to become devotees of the Lord. They never tolerate being called God. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was God himself according to the indication of the revealed scriptures, but he played the part of a devotee. 
People who knew him to be God addressed him as God. But he used to block his ears with his hands and chant the names of Vishnu, and he would run away. There's a beautiful pastime, if you guys haven't read it lately, of Advaita Acharya. Advaita Acharya is Mahavishnu. Lord Chaitanya is Krishna himself. So Advaita Acharya was initiated by Lord Chaitanya's spiritual master, spiritual master, Madhavendra Puri. So Lord Chaitanya, because he was playing the part of a devotee, he used to respect Advaita Acharya as senior to him by initiation and also by age. And he would never tolerate Advaita Acharya showing any respect or giving any service to him. But Advaita Acharya knew he was Krishna and he didn't like that. So Advaita Acharya started to speak all types of like atheistic philosophy from the yoga system and from the Maivadis to make Lord Chaitanya angry so Lord Chaitanya would chastise him just so that he could be, um, you know, take that natural superior position with Advaita Charya. It's a very beautiful and funny story. You guys read that, you'll be laughing. So that's what's being um, alluded to here in the purport. And it says here that the servants of God come to propagate God consciousness and intelligent people should cooperate with them in every respect. By serving the servant of God, one can please the Lord more than by directly serving the Lord. So that means taking care of the devotees is more important than serving Krishna directly. Prabhupada even wrote that about our children. He said that taking care of the children is more important than worshiping the deities. The Lord is more pleased when he sees that his servants are properly respected because such servants risk everything for the service of the Lord and so are very dear to the Lord. The Lord declares in the Bhagavad Gita 1869 that no one is dearer to him than one who risks everything to preach his glory. By serving the servants of the Lord, one gradually gets the quality of such servants. When you worship someone, you become like them. That's why the Acharyas don't recommend we worship the demigods, because the demigods are still contaminated by material desire. So we just worship the pure devotees in Krishna. And then it says here, the eagerness to hear about God is the first qualification of a devotee eligible for entering the kingdom of God. So these are all the qualifications we saw in Srila Prabhupada, and we can still read about in Prabhupada's example. Today, Prabhupada came to the West, right? Prabhu, today is the day he came to the West. So you guys might remember the story. I'll just capsulize it and then I'll end here. Prabhupada, um, right? First of all, his family rejected him. You might remember the famous story. Prabhupada was writing the manuscript for the Bhagavad Gita, right? It's about 800 page of manuscript. And his wife got angry at him. And she took, it's 800 and, and, um, it's 877 page manuscript. 881 page manuscript. Prabhupada had written this in a manuscript form. He was planning to get it printed as a sacred service to his spiritual master and for the upliftment of mankind. His wife got angry. She took the manuscript to the market and she traded the manuscript for tea cakes. So in India in those days, they had a scale in the market, you could put whatever was of value on the scale and that will give you an equal amount of its weight in tea cakes. So his wife was at home in her room eating tea cakes. At that point, she had become a little disgruntled dis, um, with helping her wife 
with, with, with helping her husband preach. So she would lock herself in her room and drink tea and eat tea cakes while Prophet would hold programs in their home. So at one point, she even took the manuscript and traded it for tea cakes. And when Prophet asked her where it had gone, and he told, and she told him, Prophet asked her, well then it's, is it tea or is it me? And his wife said, I'll take the tea. And Prabhupada left. And Prabhupada lived basically penniless at that point. But he never gave up his service to his spiritual master. He studied deeply into the scripture. He lived in a, in a small closet-like room in a couple of temples, preparing himself to come to the West and preach. Then Prabhupada, he finally got a, a, a free passage on the Jaladutta. You remember the story? You can see the lady, Mrs. Marariji, the owner of the Sinda, Sinda? Is that his? Skindi, thank you. Skindi, uh, ship liner, shipping company. And she was afraid to give Prabhupada passage because she said, Swamiji, first of all, you'll probably die on the trip, which was true. Prabhupada suffered two heart attacks. Right? And then she said, and when you get there, you'll be penniless, and no, you, will, no, you won't have anything to eat, and it'll be freezing cold. So she was hesitating as a loving sister and mother to give Prabhupada passage, but he, he persisted. Finally, she arranged for it, right? So it's described that Prabhupada, he had a few volumes of books that he had printed and published. The first volumes of the Srimad Bhagavatam, have you seen those? We have a copy of them here upstairs in Prabhupada's room. And he took those books in a suitcase and he had about four dollars. Huh? How much? Seven dollars. Okay, thanks for clarifying the exchange rate. Seven dollars that he couldn't exchange. So basically he had zero, penniless. No one wanted rupees in America those days. Anyway, this described Prabhupada had one initiated disciple... His family had rejected him. He had tried to work with his godbrothers in different temples. They had all rejected him. And he had one disciple, and the disciple was standing on the boat dock, <coughs> watching Prabhupada walk up onto the ship, Jaladuta, alone and penniless. That's what Prabhupada's talking about here, that a devotee who risks everything for the service of the Lord becomes so dear to the Lord. We're talking about the real thing here. And then Prabhupada went across and on the boat he was preaching. They celebrated Jamastami. He suffered two heart attacks, right? And then Krishna appeared to him in the boat and told him, don't worry, I'll protect you. I, and and uh, the, the captain of the ship and his wife said they had never seen the Atlantic Sea so smooth before in the history of their transfer, you know, going on the ship across the ocean. Prabhupada came to New York penniless, and he was able to spread the Hare Krishna movement all over the world. And the rest is history. You know, I'll end on this one little quote. There's a famous scholar of Southeast Asian philosophy and religion He's considered to be the top authority in the world on Asian religious study. His name's Ail Basham. 
He's from Australia. And he said that never in the history of the world, even since the day of Jesus Christ, have we seen a single religious devoted person take a foreign culture and philosophy of religion and spread it over the entire world single-handedly. Okay, guys, I hope you have a wonderful day. Sorry I kind of jumped in here. and But thank you for giving me the chance to speak. And um, it, thanks for letting me have a little fun with you. I appreciate that. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I won't jump in there anymore. <laughs> we were asking everybody who's giving class, nobody knew it, so I kind of jumped in here, but thanks a lot for <laughs> for doing that for me. I needed it. Okay, so have a wonderful day. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna.